Welcome back to part B of my chat with Adam Scott. We pick it straight back up where we left off with Adam talking about a tough year, 2009. 2009 was a, a, a tougher year for you, so... Yeah, that was my worst year, <laughs> Yeah, and, probably and as a pro. Even we, though, in saying that, I won the Australian Open, which is one of my great memories as a pro. Yeah, but yeah. at the, the, at the, the end of the year. The whole year was sure. a lot of average golf. What's, can we talk on that for a second, if you don't mind? Yeah. So, you know, average golf for you is obviously great golf for a lot of people listening in. But, um, you know, at the standard that you were used to um, since you turned pro and were successful around the world, um, what happened in 2009? Can you, have you thought about that? Have you, you know what, you can put your finger on as to why? Um, I think when most things get out of control, it's a series of a few events that, you know, stack up on the wrong side of uh, good. So, yeah. um, you know, there was uh, my swing was getting a little loose and uh, the coaching situation with Butch was changing a little bit. You know, he was a bit older. He was traveling less. It was like less um, personal attention than, yes. than I'd had. And I'm not blaming my bad play on Butch. There's, like I said, there's many factors in there. You know, just thinking about it, I go back and look at some, if I think about some of the results, I missed the cut by one a lot that year. Yeah. But, you know, just the negative vibe of missing one cut is, it, you know, is just like a kick in the gut <laughs> and you're sitting out on the weekend, but then, you know, you back it up a few in a row and you've missed by one every time. The confidence really takes a big hit. And I think more than anything, by the middle of that year, my confidence had just really taken a big hit, and I was just not sure what to do. Were you um, playing? Were you playing decent golf in practice, and you just weren't delivering tournament time, or you just felt the whole time it was? It ugh. was. It was just all average, and then in tournament time, it got worse because as soon as there was pressure on a shot, like you have to make a par on. 18th Friday I'd hit it straight right in the trees because the pressure was on because the confidence wasn't there and, and I wasn't believing in my technique too at a certain point in the year and I think it, it just snowballed a bit and you know made a few things got out of line and uh, kind of toward the second half of that year I fortunately I don't know how but I started to make some changes that had to be made and you know they were tough ones like calling Butch up after working with him for 10 years to say I don't want to work I've got to go and do something else yeah I felt wow. that was a really really hard thing to do um the guy had given me so much he was incredibly generous you know uh, with his time for that and I, you know it was a shattering call for me but he would have he would what? have dealt with it very well though right hey absolutely he's had he's taken two guys to number one in the world and they've both fired him so that was probably <laughs> it's not even a blow not even a blow for him me <laughs> but but i felt that because we're and we're still very close today and butch is a great friend of mine but um you know that was a hard call but i'm i somehow made these decisions and made some big changes and that I don't know where I found that, but I'd encourage people to do that. Like if it's really yep. gone wrong and only you know, you've got to ask yourself deep questions sometimes, certainly in the performance of anything. Um, 
you've got to ask yourself some really hard questions and give really honest answers and find it in inside you you know there's no cop out and somehow i managed to do that at the end of 09 and make those changes and things started getting better what did you do coach wise after him i can't remember um you know did you appoint or did you try someone for a little while or you know did you have someone in mind when you were making that decision i not straight away i i just felt like space you know I, I need to not yeah. hear that voice right now it sounds terrible i'm ripping butch here i'm not at all <laughs> no but, no, you know, no i understand you've heard, you've heard enough of it and nothing lasts kind of forever so i've i've heard that voice all year and i'm not getting anywhere i've got to not hear that voice that's yeah. the first point and and this is how it goes out there then the caddy is the next one in the firing line <laughs> you know this is <laughs> this is the process of pro golf and you can see it's it's revolving doors out there. People hire a coach and work with them for a bit, and then they're gone, then they're back, and the caddy is the same kind of thing. Um, but I, after Butch, soon after that, I started working a bit with um, my soon-to-be at that point brother-in-law, Brad Malone. Yes. And I still work. Yes. I still work with him today. Yeah. Um, and he was he's younger than me, and he just kind of finished his apprenticeship. At, Wentworth in the UK. He'd moved to Australia. He was teaching down at Arundel Hills for a while. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I knew him uh, as my sister's boyfriend or fiance, and we'd spent some time because he's a golf pro, and yep. he'd been he'd been around me, so I felt comfortable, and we just talked a bit of golf, and that's what I needed at that point, and it developed into him giving me his thoughts on what he thinks I should do and that had a really positive impact straight away you know the results came and ended up winning the Aussie Open later that year. Amazing and there's two things that to come out of that one is I've always told my wife if ever Adam Scott needs a caddy I'm going just so you know Rach <laughs> okay if he ever calls me and that still stands Adam right so if you ever okay, need anyone to carry the bag okay. I'm, I'm there in a heartbeat I'd love to caddy for you I think be awesome um and and i think i do a good job but um the second thing was um in regards to your swing which you've been regarded over the years as being you know the model almost you know this great golf swing so it's really interesting to hear you talk about the confidence and the loss of confidence because we all look at your golf swing and you know everyone around the world looks at your golf swing as the model and so it's amazing to listen to you talk about how you lose confidence in it. Was it was it the swing you were losing confidence in, or just your ability to score, or you know, just just touching on that a little bit more? And even today, you know, um, you know, the pressures or the the words that come out in the media. How does Adam Scott play play bad with that swing? Those sorts of comments that you hear. I mean, you might hear them. I'm sure. I mean, we hear them. Um. You know, it's a bit of a cycle when a guy's been playing good to then having a downturn. It's, it's unusual that it's a quick snap. You know, usually even as technique or things struggle and it, and it wears off, you know, the confidence is still high enough. And if you walk out there confident, you can shoot a good score playing with, you know, a stick you find in the park. And, <laughs> you know, that's where the, the top level talent is at. You know, the sure. confidence is so huge. But eventually it, it breaks down. and I, 
you know, I couldn't accurately say whether I was putting and chipping, scoring a little worse at the start of 09 and that put more pressure on my long game and then the technique just wasn't quite where it needed to be and that started breaking down. But that that's kind of the chain of events. It could have been the other way. You know, I was hitting it so poorly that the pressure was on my short game and that broke down. You know, sure. somewhere that stuff wasn't in it stuff wasn't lined up i wasn't doing the right stuff and if you keep doing that nothing changes so i had to make some changes and started some new stuff and and fortunately pretty much straight away it was the right kind of stuff for me have you Um, got it oh sorry yeah so some days i wake up and i feel you know the the swing yeah this is what i was made to do and other days i feel like i don't know which end of the club i'm holding and it's it's hard it's harder work it just it just is but um i think with experience now i've found a much better formula to keep it all together you know and if i look at my last 10 years it's been a very consistent 10 years certainly from a hitting standpoint it's that it was what I was going to say uh, where I interrupted you. So that um, the model. So have you got a better look at what the model is for Adam Scott to produce quality golf now? So what I mean is, you know, back then when there might have been, you know, some hesitation or questions of what is it that's actually causing me to not yeah. be able to score versus now. I think with a lot more of the interesting stats that are around, you can kind of pinpoint quite quickly. Correct? Yes? No? Yeah. Yes, I absolutely think you should be able to um, pinpoint where you're lacking uh, yeah. and, and get given a very good indication by the stats. I think some of the other things are, you know, when you're talking about talented athletes or a golfer, you know, you want to you want to bring out as much of that natural instinct and talent as possible and not, not block it with much. So the information mm. that you're giving is very important. Is it too much for this person? Out, you know, their personality and sure. performance is, is very relevant, certainly from a coach's standpoint in, or, or the team around the support team around the athlete in, in getting this great performance out of them. Um, you know, can they handle the tough, can they handle being told they're not a good chipper or you know yeah. you have to kind of skirt around that and find another way to make a make chipping a strength let's let's say um you know personality plays a big part in it but i think for me now off the back of that bad 09 i'm playing really well t to green in 10 but not really featuring in the big tournaments again which had been basically 10 years of that for me i'd played 40 majors and not really featured I was fed up with that. I'd, yeah. I'd be damned if I'm spending another 10. Um, Doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, my my whole dream of winning majors was kind of slipping away. I'd spent mm. 10 years not doing it. And so we came up with a plan on how to be prepared to play the biggest tournaments under the most pressure. And, you know, that plan kind of gets slightly modified as other things changed over the last 10 years. But now they're just little movements, you know. It's not sure. a complete, complete balls up every year to know <laughs> to think, come up with a new plan. So, yeah, it's 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 not very strict, but it because I still want to eventually get over the ball and just react and just do what somehow I can do. You know, that's yeah. what you want in the biggest moment. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it all, and it all comes from that preparation I, I i feel that's the biggest thing i if people are looking for kind of elite performance preparation is just massive yeah right so mm. the model the model is a preparation model as well as a tournament week model in a way so you've you've been out and nut that down over years and strip it away and add things yeah, I, in and I think if you ask um, like Brad Malone, my coach, or David Derbyshire, my trainer, or John, or my caddy, or Steve Williams, who's my caddy, I mean... Matt Guy. Matt Guyett. <laughs> Future caddy. <laughs> <laughs> On trial. Um, uh, we will... Uh, they'd say, like, if you can get Adam, you know, prepared and in a good headspace, getting to a tournament or getting to Thursday, just get out of his way then. You know, what playing mm. a tournament is what I can do. It's what we need to kind of structure up leading into that. You know, playing competitive golf, I can do really well if I've been given all the ingredients along the way. Um, mm. and, and they're there just to help me do it a little better than I can on my own. Are they... I know you, you, we've spoken a bit about the majors and what the majors mean to you, and obviously they're your your big carrots now. Uh, do the PGA sounds a bit bad if I say this, but do the PGA Tour events kind of become then the you know the the dress rehearsal for majors? So you you yeah. put some things into play and test, and do they become like you know? Imagine when you came from Europe to the PGA Tour, it was a big deal. And then mm-hmm. now the majors back to the PGA Tour, they kind of become, do they become less glossy? Um, I think there's a process to getting to whatever it is your goal is. And, you know, I'm very, uh, my goal of winning majors, I'm open with. And I have, there are PGA Tour events that I, re, that I put up there, just like majors that I still want to win because I have some, personal attraction to that event like the memorial tournament at jack's place and i'd so like bay, bay hill because it's arnold's place and i just thought arnold was incredible and uh you know i'd be sad just for not winning those events in my career just like sure. i'd be really sad if i don't win the open championship like i'll be disappointed I don't, yeah not necessarily sad but i'll be disappointed if i don't get that so there are some I really focus on. And then there are some that are just part of the process too. And that's not to talk bad about them, but there yes. is this higher, yes. there is a higher level and that's just a fact. And you've got to be competitively sharp and you've got to have a place to test yourself mentally or physically. And I don't necessarily stand at Bay Hill and, or, or any other tournament and try and hook five irons like it's the 15th at Augusta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's more about what I really like in those preparation events is working hard to get in contention. So I have that yeah. fresh feeling of being able to control my emotions. Like, I'm so I want that all the time. Yeah, I want to be under the pump. And even if I mess it up at Bay Hill, it will be fresh and I'll know how to do it better the next time. And that's why I try and put, be ready to play every time I play a tournament and push myself into tension so that I'm there more and I can control myself more and more and more under pressure. That's awesome. Can I ask you about two specific moments um, here that come to mind? So 2004, 
and you're at one of the tournaments, which I imagine is one of those tournaments that you want to win, um, that's outside the majors and the players' championship. So it's 2004, and Adam Scott's in the 18th fairway, looking like every bit the winner, and you hit it in the water with your second mm. shot. Mm. What on earth is going through a young Adam Scott's mind in that moment, and how on earth did you drag yourself up from the emotion of that into getting it up and down across the water and becoming the players' mm. champion? If you can remember, it's a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a long time ago. I think um, I I don't remember exactly like what sure, I thought, sure. but when things. You know, the more you're up there, the more things like this can happen. You know, sometimes you pull off the shot and sometimes yeah. you don't. I don't know what kind of shot I was trying to pull off to hit it in the water at that moment, but it was a terrible shot. And, you know, in some ways I'm criticised because I'm very level on the golf course uh, emotion-wise. You know, I don't show a lot of emotion throughout a round. And... You know, people question the fire and things like this over time. I mean, even Butch Harmon did. He, wow. he felt like he had to question the fire because I don't show it like Tiger shows it necessarily. And it's amazing because from my perspective watching on, I just never saw that. I always yeah. thought you had emotion and, yeah, you show, and like, I could see it. Maybe, maybe mm. it's our culture down yeah. here. I, and, you, and you know me too, pers yeah, sure. personally, as, you know, since I was a kid, really. So, yeah. um, But I think that that uh, flaw or, you know, weak point of being very level kept me level in that instance. You know, I yeah. didn't feel like I've lost the tournament. So somehow uh, I managed to think, well, okay, you know, chipping apart, I still win. I mean, <laughs> this is good. Like yeah. if you drop drop me in front of the green on Thursday morning and said, you've got to chew in a putt to win this week. How good you take that? it, right? Every, you, you take yeah. it. Yeah. And I think, you know, my mind, you know, fortunately, my mind just didn't wander off into the water with my golf ball. You know, it was still up here on the land. And it's like, okay, well, chip four, five in, let's win. And that's what I thought about. Um, um, and, I, and I think that's kind of what, I've always done one really interesting thing, you know, anything can happen in golf, as you know, it's really yes. crazy. It was the Houston Open in 07 and I stood on the last tee at, uh, with a one-shot lead over Stuart Appleby and I hooked my drive in the water and I won the tournament by three shots on that hole. <laughs> you know, you were after I hit my shot, I'm thinking, huh, this isn't going to be good. Stewart hit his second ball, second shot in the water and made six. I dropped, hit a seven iron on the green and hold the putt for four and one by three. So you just never know. So I don't, Yeah. on the course, I don't react highs and lows. I react high when the winning putt goes in because yes. that's it. You know, it's over. But uh, I, I feel like, although sometimes maybe being a bit flat throughout the week can be a negative for me, being being that way can help me in other situations, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the second moment. The second moment is a uh, British Open, and you've, again, been really open in talking about how you'd love to win the Open Championship. Mm -hmm. And 2012, you had a great opportunity to win. My question a little bit about that is is probably more so the aftermath. And... 
how long does it linger on? How long do you replay moments and what you did on that 18th hole or prior or, you know, how long does it eat away at you that that was a really good chance and mm. you, you kind of didn't get it done? And, and did you ask questions like, why didn't I hit driver down 18? Or, you know, I'm sure people yeah, have asked you that. Terrible. Yeah, of course. Terrible. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's to say I you're know. terrible. I'm just... You know, it is. I, it I is kind of want to, it's the hard yard. So I want to know, yeah. like, how hard is it to overcome it's, or come back from that? It's hard. I mean, you know, the, it's the most pressure in my sport that anyone can face. I mean, I, uh, if we just go, go to the 18th hole, I mean, I feel it's harder for me to deal with it now. You know, I've <laughs> learned more and gained more experience since then. And it's harder for me to deal with that now than it was immediately after. I think I was quite numb afterwards, which may have been a good thing. Like, it was just, I can't believe it happened. I mean, I felt so good the way I was playing anyway that week, uh, which is weird, but the even with the bad finish. But, yeah, to get on that last tee, and I'd hit iron there every day uh, that week. And Graham McDowell was my playing partner, and I watch him hit a three-wood, not a very good shot, but it just leaked right into a very wide open safe spot over there on the, it was in the right rough, I think. Yeah. And it looked like average shot. It's perfect. Yeah. I said, I said to Steve, do you like three-wood? And I think he was shocked. Like he later told me he was a bit shocked. And with that, because we'd hit iron and he let, he let me hit it. I mean, I made the choice to hit it. It's not his. Yeah. Oh, but things had just unraveled. We'd just made three bogeys in a row. I was now in uh, question mode, even mm. though I wasn't really showing it, but it was like, why, why didn't I hit an iron or why didn't I just bust driver down there? Yeah. <laughs> like you said. I mean, the one thing I learned out of that was another friend of mine who's a good golfer uh, that I spoke to in the days after said, man, I wish you know, Steve or you just thought make three and win the open, you know? Yeah. So at, at, yeah, the, right. players, at the players, I thought chip, chip and up, up, win the tournament. And here that did, you know, make three to win the, if you dropped me there Thursday on the 18th tee and said, you got three to win the open, I'm taking it too. But yeah, my right. head just wasn't there. And that was my, my and is that because, is that because, is that because of the previous three holes? Probably, probably. I mean, uh, not, I'm not making excuses. This is just how I am. It was the first time I had a major championship fully sitting on my. Yes, sure. It, yeah. it was up to me at that point what happened those last few holes. And I'd never been in that situation before. And that was all I'd ever wanted. Of course. And I just wasn't tough enough coming down the stretch. That's what I learned out of it. I made tons of, there's tons of mistakes. You know, you can pick any shot that didn't work out, but I just wasn't tough enough. Um, it showed me that. You know, to win a tournament, even when it's going bad, a putt's got to go in the last few holes. It's very rare that anyone wins a tournament without holding some putt. You know, whether right. even a five-footer in the last few holes. They're making something. You've got to hold one. And I didn't hit good enough shots, and I made a huge mental error on 18 by hit, trying to hit three-wood and pumped it straight in a bunker. So, <laughs> you know, there's lots of bad stuff. There's nothing good. I think, luckily, I was just kind of numb afterwards. And um, for three days, I didn't dwell on a particular shot. I just probably 
right. didn't go go too deep into thinking about what I'd done. And on I remember on Thursday afterwards, I went to the range. I was in Switzerland and I started hitting bowls again. And I was hitting it good. And I'm like, okay, it's all right. It's good. I'm going to play another tournament. I'll win yeah. that. And yeah, the world's uh, not ending. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's hard because I haven't won that tournament. I've led on the back nine mm-hmm. twice since yeah. then too and not been able to close it. But <laughs> it's just not easy winning. It's hard to do, right? I think, I think yeah. that's what... I think that's what a lot of people, you know, maybe don't realise how hard it is to actually win. You know, there's one guy. There's one guy every week, you know. Yeah, well, well, Tiger made the expectations so unrealistic Mm. uh, for a long time, you know, and my dream of being the world number one player was just uh, unrealistic for a decade of my career. I mean, <laughs> he was playing beyond anyone else's capabilities. That's just the facts. And and his record shows that. But, um, you know, to think that thing of like, oh, I'll just run out there and win nine majors or 14 or 18 or whatever you, I thought leaving high school was just crushed that first 10 years. He crushed everybody. You know, he crushed dreams of kids like me, but he you know, devastated guys like Mickelson and Ernie and, yeah. you know, these incredible players that are the best of their era and they have had amazing careers, but they're, and they're at five and four majors when they could have won a lot more. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. incredible, he just, isn't it? He just got the better of them all the time. And I think you, you touched on this before we, we started our chat tonight. You spoke about Ernie Els and, and his talent. Can you just yeah. ref, can you just say that again? Like what you yeah. spoke to me about prior. So we were talking about a friend, Travis yeah. Johns, who who is a Queensland lad who's living in the states now, teaching and coaching over there. And we grew up playing golf with Trav. And you actually said an amazing stuff. And like you say it again, so it comes out of Alex Scott's mouth, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we grew up with an amazing amount of talented players in Queensland. Sure. I talk about it with another one of our mates, Tom Arnott, often. Yeah, like there was this period I think through the 90s in Queensland. I was probably before that as well, but that I remember, and the talent was incredible. You know, amazing scores were being shot. Guys somehow learned to go super low, shooting yeah. really low scores, all of us, and it was really competitive, really incredible environment to grow up in. You know, certainly um, for me, having yourself and other guys and, and John Z and David Gleeson, these guys, you know, to look up to, just learn, learn from at that point. But, you know, I think Travis is as talented as golfer as I've ever seen. He's just, he just has that amazing ability, um, you know, like a cross between Bubba Watson and Ernie Els. But I think, you know, I said to you earlier that Ernie Els, I think, is the most talented golfer I've ever played with. Uh, and I've been lucky to play a lot with Ernie uh, throughout my career. And I just, he, he's incredible. And his record speaks for itself, obviously. But I, I feel like he, he is actually more raw talent than Tiger, which is hard, hard to say. I mean, we're talking <laughs> about a, a ridiculous level. And, yes, you know, and I yes. Think, and what Tiger is is unbelievable, but but Ernie, I, I I've got to watch really close up close in Presidents Cups. We've been partners. We've played a lot of practice rounds together. Played a practice round at the O2 
Open Championship at Muirfield on the Wednesday and Ernie couldn't play. I mean, he was playing terrible. He wasn't injured or anything, but he was low on confidence. And I remember him on the 17th hole telling me how bad he feels he's playing and almost <laughs> asking me, like, what do you think? And I was <laughs> 21 <laughs> and just like, what? <laughs> and I couldn't believe it because four days later, he won the tournament in the playoff. But, you know, I understand a little bit more now, but he, he found something on a shot or somewhere, a feeling, and, and he's so good he can turn that into something. Um, mm. But I've seen him play incredible shots and his hands are amazing on the club. His short game has been incredible. And um, through the through the prime of his career, I mean, an incredible clutch putter. Mm. Just just was so good to be around him very very lucky to learn a bit from him and he really he also encouraged me a lot and gave me a lot of confidence um early on in my career it's mm, awesome Ernie Els in the recent years has had some issues with his putting I believe you know with a little bit of you know that dreaded word we don't want to say mm. um putting's been something that you've had to deal with as well from a media perspective how does Adam Scott view Adam Scott's putting? Well, I'm a pretty good putter. Let's, you know, I think it's relative, like where sure. putting is. Um, you know, the first ten years of my career, I was very streaky. I won a lot of, I won a lot of tournaments putting really well, and I uh, also putted poorly a lot. Uh, I was very streaky. The confidence went. It was probably the most temperamental area of my game. You know, that's where the confidence went first was putting, but it also came quick as well. Mm. Um, and I think after however long, there was some frustrations. You know, I led the tour putting in 2004 in America, but uh, that that kind of information actually wasn't available then. You know, the stats sure. we had then didn't show me leading strokes gained putting. So, because it wasn't around, but when they backdated it, so I wasn't getting a true indication of how I was putting, but that's no excuse anyway. I think I just decided I want to fix uh, this and make it not such a temperamental area. And mm -hmm. I, I have done that. I mean, I believe at the moment, my last 12 months are probably my best 12 months sure. since Great. 2004. Mm. And, uh, I think I'm one of the best putters and certainly I think I'm one of the best putters who, when I have to make a putt at the end of a tournament. Yeah, I've awesome. made a lot of putts. I've made a lot of putts to win tournaments and I, the difference between the average putter on tour and the top putter is not much. Is not a lot. It's like under one or it's one around or it's under one around. It's, it's really small. It's really fine lines in everything at the top of probably any profession. Sport, yeah. And and same with and same with golf. It's really fine lines. I mean, the standard of everybody out there is incredibly high. Uh, and guys work really hard on it. Other guys have other areas that are a little um, temperamental for them. But putting for me now would not be that uh, at all. In fact, you know, I I don't think about it to be honest so, yeah that's awesome that's yeah. awesome i've yeah. often wondered because it's, it's obviously out there isn't it um there's yeah. a 
you know, there's a a product on the market called a boomerang putting trainer. Have you you've got one, right? Well, yeah. You still you still got one? Yeah. Yeah, I got one tonight. Oh, were you? How good <laughs> yeah. is that? I, I've yeah. only just been introduced to it recently. Yeah. Um, you know, he he reached out to me, Alex, the designer, and said, "Hey, you know, can you have a look at this for me and you know tell me yeah. what you think?" And I think it's awesome. Is yeah. is putting as a regular thing just a really key part of it? So for the golfers out there listening in. You know, I, I try and encourage my students as a coach that just get something like the boomerang putting training where you can putt daily. You just get the putter in the hands and putt daily. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think putting especially, somewhat chipping, you can almost do anywhere. You know, you've got to be a little careful chipping around the bedroom and stuff. <laughs> but, but, you know, you can roll some putts anywhere in the office if bosses don't see and that. But, yeah, to have the putter in the hands and to be doing something productive always and getting some feedback on that, you know, it, it, that's the balance, like sure. getting the right feedback. Like in 2004, my putts per green was like 80th and my um, putts per round was like 75th. And I think I'm an average putter, but my strokes gained actually was number one in the yeah, wow. of like Tiger. So. Like the boomerang can give you some feedback or there's uh, there's another really good putting mat well putt that I also putt on yeah. um, that I like a lot and it's a really good roll and it gives you some feedback. So at least you can kind of, when you when you get the groove, it gives you the feedback that you're doing it good and you do it over mm. and over again. But, you know, and I think the short game for, for the amateurs out there is more the area where you'll save shots. If your goal is... To hit it better then you've got to go practice hitting it but that doesn't mean you're going to score lower yeah <laughs> i think yeah. the easiest way for them to score lower is to get the short game happening and it's a little uh, easier work and that's not to be a cop-out but you know if you don't get the chance to practice more than 30 minutes a week then you've got to be a little bit realistic with like how much lower you think you're going to play sure sure absolutely yeah. so i think Stuff like that with the putting and getting the putter in the hands on a daily basis is, is very good if it's giving you the good positive feedback. Yeah, and what you touched on there, I think, is a, is great advice for that sort of five handicapper that often says, "How do I get myself down to scratch?" You know, mm -hmm. get that short game humming along. You know, it's the quickest yeah. way to it's the quickest way to strip shots off your game, right? Absolutely. And again, like talking about the standard, I mean, I can't tell you about the standard of short game on tour. It's off the charts. I think I really took my short game up a level last year that, that I've not been at before. And that's what kept me in the game. I, although I hit it okay, I was really struggling with the driver last year and my short game kept me in the hunt in majors, yeah, kept me wow. in the hunt in some yeah. other tournaments because it, it just went up a notch. And mm. and that was so much fun for me what, too, what like you, in, improving. What do you put that down to? Um, just finally put a few pieces of the puzzle together in, you know, ultimately it comes down to the confidence, but yeah. found, found, found the feeling that matched proper technique and stuff like that, that I could really relate to in my head and repeat and do yeah. over and do with confidence and really you know, strike it aggressively and be confident with it. Um, and and I think 
I started enjoying that a lot more. And then, you know, I didn't fear anything around the greens and, you know, made some great up and downs that I, if I think about last year, I think about probably short game shots. Yeah, right. Most satisfied me. Yeah. Does, does Adam Scott, is Adam Scott a, a feel, a body type feel player or is it the, the technical, the track man type stuff that, you know, Adam Scott works on both in short game and, and long game? Or is it the body yeah. feel and what, what is it that creates the motion forward or creates your downward pressure? You know, is right. it, you know, what is Adam Scott? No, I'm more of a feel player, I mm-hmm. think. I don't use TrackMan very often at all. Uh, in fact, I don't know the last time I hit balls on TrackMan. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think my coach and I probably talk about it as we work within a certain set of parameters. Uh-huh. You know, he stands there and watches and says, you're within the guidelines of what we like to see without sure. it, like right from the setup. I think the setup for me is the hardest thing for me to control. It you know, just seems to be that it's easy for it to move quickly. Like yeah, in right. two days, it can really shift. I can get really right-sided or really left-sided or really back in the heels. And I can't feel that as well as other things in the swing. So we try and get me in a good spot and then I swing most of the time. And if I'm in a good spot, I just try and get to full swings on the range and, and start ripping balls full <laughs> and see what's happening. And if I'm drawing it, then I know, okay, well, I can just hold it off a bit today if I have to go out and play immediately. But, you know, I only kind of judge my shots off full swings of like, and I can then understand how to break it down and simply fix it or then what to go and work on. Yeah. Um, you know, I want that full shot commitment with everything because that's the way I feel like I get the best results on the course. Yeah. And if you're having a rough day, Adam, so if you go out and you feel like, you know, for want of a better term, if you, your key performance indicators for Adam Scott to play good golf, you're ticking all those boxes, let's say. You ticked off your address and, you know, your feels on backswing and transition feels into impact and you feel like you're doing everything right. But, you know, there's just days where... It, it, it's all those boxes get ticked, but we're still, you know, clunking it a bit, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just not quite there, you know. Mm-hmm. How do you go about, what do you do in that circumstance when you feel like, you know what, I don't have my A game with me today. How do mm-hmm. I go about getting the ball around? What's your what's the game plan for Adam Scott in that circumstance? Yeah, I think you, just, you I probably go to play within myself a lot. I just scale back. Yeah. My expectation. You know, yeah. I'm not going to just bomb driver over corner. I'm just going to have to hit whatever I think is the easiest shot. You know, yeah, that's awesome. some, sometimes that'll leave me, you know, 45 feet with two breaks on a green just because I dump an eight iron in there way short rather than press it with a seven iron back into a tighter area but I'll then go work hard on the putt and wait for my yardage to come you know what I mean and wait for something to happen and over four days you can you can have a day and a bit of it not working right and still get yourself in there you know Uh, but if you have four days it's going to be really hard to manage to win a tournament but hopefully it's something small and that's why I try and prepare I really like preparing to get to a tournament and, and doing a lot of work before I get there. So hopefully I don't have four days of trying yeah, to find sure. it. 
Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do. I just bring the expectation level way back in and um, don't play myself out of it, really. Hit, hit to some bigger targets. Yeah, I just, I do. I find the easiest shot. And sometimes it's hard because the wind will be pumping off the left. You know, and yeah. all you're doing is losing it right, and you know, I'll just I'll go down to whatever it is that I'm not going to lose it right with. You know, you've got to find your key go-to shots and yeah, a few I love a it. few moves that are going to work ugly, but get it done. I remember playing in you know I've never been able to fortunately get myself into a major, but I remember playing the Dunhill Links in Scotland. And I was paired with Shane Lowry actually in the final round. And this is before he won the Open. But um, I'd been hitting it in the wind. These low, you know, for me, this this controllable shot was just this low fade in Scottish conditions. Would just, you know, fly two thirty and and run another fifty, you know, and mm. and just worked. And then at St Andrews in the final round with Shane, there was no wind. My caddy said, what are you going to do ball fight-wise? I said, well, I've been doing this for three days. I can't change now. But Shane's hitting this bomb-high draw that's going through the room up here. And I'm hitting this little squeezy cut. But it was just what I knew. And I think that's a really good point you make is that go-to shot for golfers out there listening in to the podcast, you know, coming up with what you know you can do get you into the fairway, you know, at all costs. Yeah. and Yeah, it's nice if you can find a go-to shot. I mean, for, for the guys who can do that. I think I'd even take it back to if you get the chance to warm up before you play for any golfer, if you're, you know, if you're not rushing out of the car straight to the <laughs> first tee, but you're going to hit a few balls, you know, warm up, don't hurt yourself. But get to the full shot and see what it is that day. That's what I'd try and do in a warm-up before a round and see what you got as far as, okay, I'm hitting fades or I'm hitting a slice or whatever it might be, uh, I'll spend about two minutes thinking if I can correct it or not. or not. And if I can't, that's what I'm going to play that day. You know, I'm not going to fight it. It's too hard. And, you know, I'll accept I won't be hitting it close to back left pins. I'm going to be putting. And I'll, I'll pick sure. my moments where I can attack and hopefully uh, play a smart round of golf, but I won't fight it. I think you've kind of just got to go with what you've got a lot and you know it might not be pretty but that's how it is that day and you'll get another crack at it next weekend or the next day or whatever it might be of playing your pretty best golf i remember you might not remember this but i remember when you won the 2012 aussie masters at kingston heath and i was kind of around you know it's mm -hmm. pretty new for me to be at the at the top end on the weekend and and um you sort of were in front of me with these huge crowds with Poulter and yourself on the Saturday and then you flipped to the last group on Sunday and I was in front of you when you were looking down with no crowds with me. But um, I remember you saying to me after I congratulated you on your win that it's about turning that 65 good holes you did this week, Maddie, into 72. You know, and that's still the battle, isn't it? You know, that's still the battle for you guys at the elite level. It's the battle for the club golfer on a Saturday to be able to, you know, turn 13 good holes into 18. And, and I think your model that you've just given people there of finding your way, finding your go-to shot, increasing your target sizes when you're not quite there, recognising what you've got on the range beforehand is a big part of that. Yeah, I... I, I've talked a lot about it a little 
this year that I think you've just got to bring get that expectation real. Golf's really hard to get that ball in that little hole for it is. <laughs> for eighteen for eighteen holes that day or then seventy two holes for a tournament. It's really hard not to have like one hole where you're sprayed in a bush and you can't get out, you know, and you make it or something. It's really, really hard at a high level. So if you're playing every Saturday and doing no practice during the week, yeah. no matter what your handicap is and no matter what your talent is, you know, you've got to give yourself a break, at least teeing off in that. In that <laughs> you don't have to go to battle out there today and, and let's just be. And, and, and sometimes the course can really come to you when you, when you, when you scale back and it allows itself for good things to happen. So... I really try and encourage like people to kind of just, let's bring the expectation down today. I know you want to break 80. It's possible you might shoot lower than you thought. It's so hard to allow it to happen, isn't it? But it's the, it's how it happens. It is, and uh, all kind of cliche things, and it's hard not to see all the hurdles in front of you in goal. Mm. Kind of bringing that expectation down then doesn't uh, get you forcing it so much. Mm. That's awesome. Well, mate, I have loved chatting and could chat longer, but I thank you so much for your time. We're getting a little bit of audio scratch as well, so we might be running out of juice on your headphones there. But, um, yeah, because I can barely hear you. But we might wrap it up. But thanks so much, Adam Scott, my uh, guest on the sunny coast at uh, The Hard Yards, Episode 9. I wish you all the very best, as I'm sure anyone watching on does for the rest of the year. Let's hope COVID allows some golf to happen and Adam Scott gets back out there on the PGA Tour and wins some majors, um, not only for yourself, but for all of us who are fans. And, um, mate, I appreciate your time and your friendship over the years and um, you're one of the true legends of our game. And, and thanks so much tonight. Me too, Maddie. Thanks, mate. Enjoyed catching up with you. Pretty sad for that episode to end, I have to say, as I was loving listening to Australian US Masters champion Adam Scott talk in such a relaxed and entertaining manner on all things golf. Thank you so much, Adam, for your time, and we certainly wish you well for the rest of 2020 and beyond. Next week, I have another Aussie sports star joining me as I catch up with Brizzy Boy and tennis star John Millman. I can't wait to bring you that chat because in talking with John, I know he truly has done the hard yards to get where he is today in the tennis world. As always, thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying it, please pass the word around as someone you know might just like it too. Have a great week, everybody. Be good to those around you and don't forget to put in the hard yards.